Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Just before we start in, in Genesis chapter 1, along with the uh, prophecy updates, I'm continuing to be amazed at what our president continues to try to do. And, I mean, try to make Bible classes electives and stuff like that. And you're thinking, I would never guess that. And yet we see in the State of the Union and the opposition to, it's not just Trump, it's to Judeo-Christian values. We saw the State of the Union where we're watching our politics become radicalized. And it's radical left. And understand that the radical left is a religion. It's not politics. This is a religion. I was telling my class earlier today that earlier on, like in the 50s or 60s or whatever you want to say, politicians had the same goal a lot of times, but they had different methodologies to achieve that goal. But they were still on the same page as far as goals are concerned because they had a Judeo-Christian background. Today, there's a whole segment of our society, and politicians represent that, that they don't have the same goals as the Judeo-Christian values anymore. They are for terminating babies and killing them. They are for socialism. And I appreciate our president saying we are not a socialist country. And you're like, well, that's just simply economic. It's not. When you go socialism, you're going to an atheistic bedrock or foundation of economics, which will eventually destroy your country like Venezuela, Cuba, or whatnot. Only free market is what was more in line with what the Bible speaks about. And so we're watching the people in this country have goals that we have never had as a nation. And because of that, this is what's making it difficult to talk to people. Not that we don't want to be on the same page, but we want to try to talk to people, but it's hard to get them on the same page when you have someone who's bent on communism. He's, how do you talk to that person? How do you talk to a person who says you can kill a baby even after it's born? How do you talk to that person? They're not even willing to compromise. They have a different set of values and a different set of goals. And what I want you to see as we're studying Genesis, that behind all of this nonsense that's going on in our culture, these people that have radical ideas, that their ideas do not stem from a Judeo-Christian background based on Genesis. Genesis is the foundation bedrock of any society. It tells you where you came from, what you're about, and where you're going. It gives you that purpose in life. Man, if you don't understand Genesis, you're going to be lost. And that's the problem with our culture. They don't understand the bedrock of a society. And now we're seeing our society turn upside down. So as we're studying Genesis, keep in mind that we're losing this foundation and that we are the preservers as Christians of this foundation. You have to stand in the gap. You're going to have to take a stand against people wanting to murder babies. You're going to have to take a stand against socialism and all of these things that are coming at your way because you're going to have to defend the Bible. If you don't do it and I don't do it, who is? Most of the churches don't say anything. So it is the fight that's been brought to our front door, and you better be ready to fight it. It's a spiritual battle. And so Genesis is the best way to be prepared for that battle. 
to have your boots strapped up and ready to go because Genesis gives you the ammunition. As you'll see today, it's, it's amazing that the way the Bible's written, particularly Genesis, it's almost written as if it is preemptive in discounting man-made humanistic worldviews. It takes swipes at vain human philosophies. And today, it's going to take a big swipe at an issue today, and we'll tackle that. So keep this in mind then as we look at this and we'll bring it to an application. The personal application, God is providing the environment. So he provides everything that we can't provide for ourselves. He provides the environment. And then like last week, we learned that in the environment, you have to go out and get it where it's provided. If it's provided here on the top of a mountain, you have to go get it. You have to climb that mountain to get it. It's God providing it, but you have to give the effort to get it. Now, I'm talking about sanctification, not salvation, okay? And so he'll provide it, and it's there. But you're going to have to climb a mountain. It takes effort. And then once you get it, whatever he provides, the tools necessary, you have to work the tools. You have to work wholeheartedly to make the environment work for you. And I'm not just simply talking about creation. I'm talking about even your walk with the Lord. You will have to use the tools he provides 100%. You have to invest yourself in it. And we'll learn that in the application. But what I want you to learn from these passages is God is filling the environment with things that are meant to be used, things meant to benefit us, but we have to use them. We are responsible for using them. So that's a takeaway. So with that in mind, let's start in Genesis Chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 14, and we're going to be starting on the fourth day and go into the sixth day. It says this in verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. So this is the fourth division. We talk about dividing, and then he fills. And what he's doing now is he's giving the generators of light. He was the source of light. Prior to this, there was light already shining on the planet. We said that it's possibly the Shekinah glory or light that God created special for this before the sun, the moon, and the stars were created. And so now he's replacing intrinsic light with generators of light or light givers or reflectors of light like the moon. A couple things about this. When God is creating, he's creating things in maturity. So... The light from stars, the light from other distant galaxies would have, the light trail would have already been in place as mature. If you would have looked at a tree, so to speak, in the Garden of Eden, it would have had tree rings, even though it was created on day one. It had the appearance of maturity. Can God do that? Of course he can. He can create anything he wants in maturity. So the starlight would have already been hitting our planet. Second thing to understand is that our universe has been expanding. So you have the idea of creation starting here, and ever since creation, the universe has expanded out. So the stars are much further away now than they used to be. But let me make this note. According to scientists, except for just supernovas, stars have not changed. They have not seen anything evolve. They have not seen anything change in the way the stars and the galaxies are in place. As long as we've been looking at them, the stars have not changed place. 
And again, we can only look now to about 330 light years. Past that, we can't see it. But in that 330 light years away, the stars don't change. And you'll see why. The implication then is that God has created the stars, the sun and the moon, and the way the galaxies are formed for our benefit, for our purpose. We are stationed in the Milky Way galaxy in a very unique place in the, in the Milky Way galaxy that actually protects us as a planet. It's very strategically located. Uh, that's not an accident. It's by God's design. Okay, so then what are these lights? What are the stars for? What are the sun and the moon for? Well, it says in the, the text, and let them be for signs. That's what they're for. This is how it benefits us. Now, again, you have to be responsible as human beings to use the signs. Well, first thing we learn, the first reason that the term sign has several meanings, several implications from other scriptures. The first reason for signs is navigational, that the stars that are in the galaxy are for navigating. That's the first implication. You'll see this in Job 38, verse 31 through 33, that mankind was given the stars of heaven in order to navigate. Now, you think about it. Up until modern-day history, how did sailors navigate on the ocean waters? They did it through the stars. The stars also tell us directions. So if you ever get lost, you know how certain stars point a certain way. And so the stars were helping people to navigate for thousands and thousands of years. So God did that as a blessing to us. The second reason the stars are put in their place are signs because they declare the glory of God. And we know certain passages that speak, like Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies that play His handiwork day after day, speak out night after night, it reveals His greatness. So they're there to be a sign to all of humanity that God exists. The idea is that when you look into the heavens, you should be able to discern that this didn't happen by accident. A creator created it. And it displays God's glory, but they deny it, right? But that's one of the reasons for the signs. The third reason, and this might be a little bit tricky, the third reason for signs and the stars in the heavens is to say that Israel's existence is endless, that Israel's existence is permanent. And you have this in Jeremiah 31, 35 through 36, that Israel will always be remembered anytime you look into the stars. The stars, as long as the stars exist, Israel exists, is the idea. And so you're never going to get away from the Israelology of the Bible. I know right now replacement theology is the norm in most churches. That They think that the church has replaced Israel. That's nonsense. That's bogus. Because one of the reasons for the stars existing is God says, Israel will exist as long as the stars exist. As long as the sun and moon exist, Israel will exist. And lo and behold, that people group still exists. So every time you look at the skies, you're to be reminded of the nation of Israel. Hmm, interesting. And then we go on and it says this, and these signs, the luminaries in the sky and in the heavens are for seasons. Now here's where we tackle some current issues. What this means is mo'adim in Hebrew, mo'adim, the seasons. The seasons are for temperature control of the planet. The sun regulates our temperatures 
along with the axis of the globe, the rotation around the sun is for temperature control. And it's like clockwork. It works perfectly. And what you see throughout history is that our temperature control varies based on the sun. Now, in a simple example, in a year, based on our location to the sun, the way the planet tilts and tilts back and forth, and the rotation of the planet, it cools off at night, gets hot during the day. We have summer, we have fall, we have winter, we have spring. That's providential. He wanted it that way. It regulates our temperatures. The distance from the sun, we are at the prime location from the sun in order to be regulated in our temperatures. Interesting enough, let me show you this one passage, and this is where I'm going to launch from. Genesis 8.22, and I want you to always write this down when you're dealing with the fake pseudoscientists. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And let that burn right into your brain, because you know what it's doing? It's, it's preempting what we're seeing today about the lie of global warming. That's what it's preempting. Almost every cult has been preempted by the Bible, and every fake rationale of that scientists can, can throw out there has been tackled already by the Bible. God is saying humans are not going to be able to create temperature changes. I created the temperatures, and it's regulated by the sun. It's regulated by the rotational path of the earth. And yet, we have people today that continue to promote fake science about global warming. You got people who have almost a junior high understanding of the weather, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Occasional Cortex is her nickname. But the AOC says that we're going to die in 12 years. The world's going to end in 12 years because of man-made global warming. Really? I wonder if AOC has ever read that there are 31,000 American scientists to date that have signed a petition challenging global warming. 9,029 of them hold PhDs in that respective field. And there's a ton of scientists that are dissenting against anthropocentric global warming, man-made global warming. We're not saying the earth doesn't heat up because it does, but it's related to the sun, not because you're driving your SUV. It has nothing to do with carbon emissions. It has nothing to do with you running solar instead of burning carbons or whatever. It's ridiculous. So what I'm saying is I want to take a break here and launch out and deal with a current subject that Scripture is militating against. This petition, again, signed by 31,000 American scientists saying global warming is false. And that one climate report that I showed you before, this is the Climate Depot, this is a thousand plus dissenting scientists who signed this climate depot that are trying to stop this because it's out of control. 
Let me show you this individual. This is Dr. Anastasios Sonis. This is an emeritus distinguished professor, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He's authored more than 130 peer-reviewed papers and nine books. He is an expert on the climate, okay? He is a climate scientist who just retired. This is the guy I've been telling you about who now has come out and says, I'm a skeptic. Look what he said here, and I have quotes from these people, and I want you to read them with me. He goes, I'm a skeptic, not just about global warming, but also about many other aspects of science. Climate is too complicated to attribute its variability to one cause. We first need to understand the natural climate variability, which we clearly don't. He goes, I'll debate anyone on this issue. The fact that scientists who show results not aligned with mainstream or labeled deniers is backward mentality. We don't live in medieval times. His point, this is the top guy, just retired, saying it's fake. What's going on here? What's happening? And he's saying, you come out and you say, well, anthropocentric or man-made global warming is fake. You're now labeled a denier, like a Holocaust denier or something like that. You're put into that camp. And he goes, this is ridiculous. This is medieval times to say things like that. Let me show you another guy, Mike Adams, director of Consumer Wellness Center Labs, independent laboratories offering scientific analysis on things. He claims, he revealed in 2017, that so-called climate scientists had actually been faking their data. Really? Adams reported, a review of global warming data showed that scientists had been altering the recorded surface temperatures to show warming when there was, in fact, none to report. What? We can't trust scientists now? No, you can't. Because the scientific community is now being controlled by political. It's called the scientific industrial complex. And I think that right after the Eisenhower administration, that's when it all started. That science started getting funds from the federal government to grant money and to do projects and things of that nature that went in line with what the federal government wanted or any political party wanted. And since then, science has been funded by politics. So there is a political thing going on with this so-called man-made global warming. And again, we're not saying the planet doesn't heat up or cool down, but it has nothing to do with human beings. The hottest temperatures recorded in American history, guess what? 1930s. What was happening in the 1930s? The Dust Bowl, right? When all the Oklahoma folks came out to California, remember the Dust Bowl? Okay, that was the hottest recorded temperatures in American history. You can't blame that on someone driving a Cadillac Escalade. It just didn't exist. You can't do that, right? It's ridiculous. And now the top scientists are saying, hey, man, this is all fake. Well, why are they faking it? Let me show you another guy. Again, I'm just throwing you a lot of scientists. These are not Christians. These are not Christians. These are secular guys. They have no dog in the race to support Genesis, right? Hal Lewis. For reasons that will soon become clear, my former pride as being an AP fellow all these years, this is his resignation letter, has been turned into shame. And I am forced with no pleasure at all to offer my resignation from the scientific society they was a part of. 
It is, of course, the global warming scam, he said, with the literally trillions of dollars driving it that has corrupted so many scientists and has carried the APS before it has went rogue. It is the greatest and most successful pseudo-scientific fraud I have seen in my long life as a physicist. Anyone who has the faintest doubt that this is so should force himself to read ClimateGate documents, which lay bare, and he's talking about Munford's book that organizes all these facts that disprove it. He goes, I don't believe that any real physicist, nay, scientist, can read that stuff without revulsion. I would almost make the revulsion a definition of the word scientist. This is the guy saying it's pseudoscience. How about Judith Curry, professor, former chair of School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at the Georgia Institute of Technology, used to be on board with anthropocentric global warming. She says, but after the November 2009 Climate Gate email scandal, we remember that? Let me bring you up to speed on that email scandal. Scientists were emailing themselves back and forth, and someone leaked the information, what they were emailing. It's called Climate Gate. And what it said is that they were faking the information. But that got buried with the news groups. That got buried politically because that wasn't kosher. That's not the narrative they wanted to have. So they buried it. But Climate Gate was a big deal. They admitted faking it. Wow. She said she saw a lot of sausage making and bullying to build consensus. She realized she had fallen into groupthink based on second-order evidence. The mere assertion that a consensus existed. Have you noticed that? That there's no debate anymore about this? That if you challenge it, you're just a denier. There has been no debate. In fact, all these scientists are saying it's wrong. And unfortunately, guys, I hate to tell you this, but a lot of Christians have absorbed this and they don't understand. A lot of Christian teachers have absorbed this. My kid comes back to me and their teacher's up there saying, global warming is a fact. And I'm like, does that Christian teacher not know the evidence or are they just part of the consensus group think? That's what's concerning me. When I have non-Christian secular scientists 31,000 saying it's fake, and yet Christians keep the narrative going, then I know that Christian has no discernment. And then they're educating kids? That's even scarier. This is what Genesis is cutting off at the pass. I mean, even if I didn't have any scientific records, even if I didn't have any evidence from these individuals, Genesis 8.22, God is saying to you and I, it's not going to change until I take the sun and the moon away. And that's all he would ask us to do. Trust me. Don't trust this guy telling you this. So has it gotten to the point that you can't trust what scientists say? Yeah, it has. And again, I'm not anti-science and neither is the Bible. But when you see one of the biggest hoax in the scientific community being propagated, what are we supposed to think? I must think then that you probably are lying about other things. How about like evolution? Stuff like that. How am I to trust you on anything? If you don't report the data accurately, what am I supposed to think about you? You're politicized, aren't you? You're politicized. You're getting money. Someone is lining your pockets 
to say the right things. Because that's right. If you go against climate change or global warming, your funding ends, doesn't it? Oh, I got how the games play. This is all about money. Yeah, it's all about money. It's all about money. Trillions of dollars. No doubt about it. Do you think Al Gore is poor? I mean, seriously, think about it. That dude has made millions on promoting a hoax, telling us we're all going to die, the sea levels are going to rise, there's no more Hawaiian islands, they're all going to get sucked up into the ocean because we got to do something about this. He is a millionaire, multi-millionaire based on all of this. Big money, big money. Let's go to Professor Ivar Gia Ever, Nobel Prize winner for physics. Talks about man-made global warming has become a new religion, which cannot be challenged, he says. He likens CO2 fear-mongering to the story of the emperor's new clothes. The purported, he said, 97% consensus. Have you heard that? That 97% of scientists agree with this. And the hockey stick graphs that were faked, by the way, he says are both utterly faked. He states that global warming is pseudoscience, CO2 is not a pollution. You know, you remember going to school and we were taking life science or plant science, remember that, in high school? And I remember my teacher, Mr. Lowry, he was at Delano and he, he taught us plant science. And you know what Mr. Lowry taught me? The plants eat CO2. That's their food. Today, the scientists are saying that what benefits the plants and vegetation, is now a poisonous gas. Where are we at? How did we go from that benefiting the planet and greening the planet to now it's a poisonous gas and we got to stop this and AOC is going to lead the charge because we're all going to die in 12 years and we're, we're going to be lost in some inferno. You know, it's like, are you serious, man? Where's the fear-mongering coming from? You know now, this is so ridiculous that... In California, this is how ridiculous it is. They said that the air, the pollution in the air is racist. No, hey, I'm not making this stuff up. I don't make this stuff up. I just read it and I just report it to you. Yeah, they said because of pollution in the air, it affects blacks and Latinos more than it does white people. So the air is racist. That's what they came up. The air is racist. Curse the air, I guess. I mean, how dare they be racist? How dare the air molecules be racist? Where are we at, man? Understand that this is going way beyond common sense, right? A couple guys, and then, then we'll move on. Don Easterbrook, professor emeritus, geology, Western Washington University, exposes how the data has been tampered with. He points out in his presentation in 2013, all temperature records were set in 1930s before the rise of CO2. What was happening in 1930s? Dust Bowl, right? Global cooling has been in effect since 1998, according to the ground and satellite measurements. Both the Arctic and the Antarctic sheets are growing. He goes, CO2 is incapable of causing global warming. He goes, there's no correlation between CO2 and temperature. CO2 follows temperature rather than preceding it or causing it. Did you catch that? CO2 follows temperature rather than causing it. He says extreme weather, such as hurricanes, has not increased. Have you noticed that in the news, 
There'll be a hurricane or something will happen. Oh, this is the biggest thing we've ever seen. We've never seen anything. And they'll, they'll just do a pan-global problem. Well, this is because of climate weirding. They, they don't even say global warming because it's not, because they're having cold snaps. Well, this is not global warming. This is global weirding. And it's just we've got to get a, gr- a grip on our SUVs and our CO2 productions. Let's pretend that this pseudoscience is correct. Even if America decided to go AOC's route where, you know, we're not even going to fly anymore. That's what she suggested. We shouldn't fly airplanes. We should fly, go on trains. Yeah, let's go back to the 1800s. Wow. And she says, we, you know, we all need to be on wind and solar. Hey, tell the people of Malibu to put the wind instead of Tehachapi. Let's see those big solar windmills over there in front of Malibu. Let's see how they like that. They won't put it in Malibu. They stick it over here in the Central Valley, right? And they want all that. We want to get rid of coal, gasoline in 12 years. It's crazy. We would die as Americans for the sake of that. At the same time, we would do all these adjustments. China, India, all these third world countries would continue to burn coal. They wouldn't stop, but yet we would. I wonder sometimes if this is trying to get the demise of America to happen faster. Because you'll destroy us economically if we can't use gasoline, if we can't drive our cars. There's something else going on, and I hope you understand it's bigger than what you think. It's for the demise of America. It's for the destruction of our economy. And it's for the heavy, heavy taxation they want from us. Someone's got to fund all the UN, right? They don't produce anything. It's bigger than that couple more guys. Pierce Corbin, meteorologist, physicist, claims the world is cooling. States outright, there is no such thing as man-made climate change. He also states the truth of the IPCC of the UN is political, not scientific. He says, it even amends scientific documents before publication to conform to diplomatic niceties. The scientists are politically appointed by the IPCC and he explains that, that science, as we think of it, gets so entrenched in its current thinking that it's often difficult for new theories or more accurate explanations to break through the status quo. John Casey, one more guy, former White House National Space Policy Advisor. He's a NASA headquarters consultant, space shuttle engineer, and is an author. So we're not talking about some lunatic. These guys are hardcore in the middle of this, okay? He wrote the book Cold Sun, which contains his research into global cooling. Casey investigated solar activity and concluded that we are now in a solar cycle or phase which could lead to global cooling, not global warming, for the next 30 years to come, he said. He says in Cold Sun, he provides evidence for the following the end of global warming, the beginning of solar hibernation, historic reduction of energy output of the sun, a long-term drop of the Earth's temperature, the start of the next climate change to decades of dangerously cold weather, and much more. He said this, he experienced firsthand in the White House how the U.S. government fired anybody, he said, not towing the line for man-made global warming. They just got rid of them. They fired them. And they said they have the power to destroy the career and livelihood of any contractor scientist who dissented with the government. This guy is not some kook. He's not some tinfoil hat brigade guy. What's happening here? Genesis is saying, 
God said, I'm controlling the temperature, not you. You're never going to be able to control it. As long as the sun and moon, it's in place. There's something going on here. So God tells us the truth in order for us to counteract lies. Some of these guys reveal what's going on. Look what the real reason. This is Maurice Newman, chairman of former Australian PM Tony Abbott's Business Advisory Council, stated, the real agenda, get this, is concentrated political authority. Global warming is the hook to create a new world order. Whoa. Well, that's what we've been saying. But he's not a Christian. But he is a secular guy saying, yeah, this is for the new world order. This is what they want. What benefit would it drive them? Why would they perpetrate a lie to the American population and the talking heads on TV, CNN, LSNBC, or whatever, LSD, whatever the alphabet is? Why do they keep saying it? Why do these idiots, I mean, seriously, idiot politicians who know nothing of science go out there spouting off, we need to reduce carbon emissions by 2030 or we're going to die. What's behind this? Are they that dumb? No. Look what this next guy says. This is Dr. Dennis Rancourt. He says, the problem is that the AGW movement, the anthropocentric global warming movement, has become a giant gravy train. He says, estimated to be worth anywhere between, notice the phrase, these these numbers, 22 billion to 1.5 trillion dollars per year that they can make on this. He says, it's hard for scientists and politicians alike to get off such a comfortable and profitable moving vehicle since their prestige, reputations, and salaries all depend on it. He reveals how real activists understand that global warming is not true activism, but rather the invention of the privileged world. So you, what you're saying is that the lie is being propagated because of money? Yeah, it's about money. It's always about money, isn't it? Follow the money. $1.5 trillion can be accessed by the UN if they put a tax on carbon emissions. Forget it. Game over. I get it. That's how they're going to get their funding for the one world government. They're not getting off of this, by the way. Even though scientists are saying, look, we're going into global cooling, what are the new things? Well, we're having global weirding. And this is because of carbon emissions. That's why it's getting colder. Do you remember in the 70s? I remember as a kid hearing the idea that these Aquanet cans of hairspray, you remember Aquanet? Do they even make Aquanet? I don't know. That Aquanet, spraying those aerosol cans in are going to destroy the, uh, the ozone layer. We're going to have holes in the ozone layer, and we're going to have uh, ice age. And, you know, you as a kid, you hear about it and and, okay, we're going to die, I guess. We're going to die in 1985 or whatever they're saying, you know. But back then, they said global cooling because of aerosol. Now they're saying global warming, and now the scientists shifts back and forth. What the idea is, whatever suits their narrative, they're going to lie for it. If they need money, that's how they're doing it. And hence, that's the new way they're going. And if it doesn't stop, guys, if it doesn't stop, and we go on this train of insanity, our economy is going to tank. 
because you just can't afford that. You can't tell everybody to stop driving a car. It doesn't work like that. We're not in New York City. We have to have cars. We have to have public transportation. And so we have to fly. That's where we're at. We can't take a step back and go back to the 1800s and be with Michael Landon on House on the Prairie and driving wagons. We can't do that. But that's what they want. That's what they want. Again, what's the point? The Bible cuts it off and says, no. Even if I didn't have it, I could just trust the Bible. Encourage other Christians who are part of the group think that anthropocentric global warming is fake science. It's not real. Let's move on. He says these things are for the days. So he goes, and the years, and it's the idea of the Earth's rotational axis, 24-hour cycle, and the Earth's rotation around the sun. It's all patterned off of God wanting order, and it's not going to change until he ends it. Then he says in verse 15, and let there be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. So that's the main purpose is to to have the passage of time. That's why lights exist. That's why the stars exist, so that human beings can mark time. Verse 16, then God made two great lights, obviously the sun, the greater light to rule the day, and then the lesser light to rule the night. That would be a reference to the moon. And then he says he made the stars also. So the stars are fixed, by the way. It's not that they don't move, but they are, they're fixed. We can actually figure out where things are at. You know, you can go back in time with astronomy and figure out where the sun and the moon were, when eclipses happened and different things like that. You could you actually go back in history using the stars. It's pretty amazing. But anyway, he goes, God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. So now this is the fifth division, and so we can have day and nights, and and so we have the stars that are visible to us. And if you go to a clear place and see the stars, this is what he told Abraham and his descendants would be like, but uh, uh, God did that for us. And it says, and God saw it was good. The verdict from God is that when he says it's good, it will benefit mankind, and mankind has to use it. And if he doesn't, it's on him. So it's not that God comes down and says, here, let me help you keep your calendar. He says, you need to use the stars to do your calendar, which we do. We have a solar calendar, 365 days and a fourth, and we use that, and it's like clockwork. It gives us our place in time. It helps mark the years. And he goes in verse 19, so even in the morning, we're the fourth day. Let's move to the fifth day, and we'll jet through this pretty quick. Then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures. So again, he's filling the space, and he's filling the space with aquatic life. So all kinds of various fishes and sea creatures that he made, he's now filling the oceans with them, and even dinosaur sea creatures as well. Pleiosaurus. And he goes, and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So now he's going to fill the air. He's filled the sea. Now he's going to fill the air. So every bird imaginable is now filling the air. Verse 21. So God created uh, great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind 
And God saw that it was good. It would benefit mankind. Notice it says in, in their kind. Again, that's a swipe against evolution. These creatures, because of their DNA, will not be able to replicate outside of their kind. A bird doesn't turn into a tortoise. A tortoise doesn't turn into a horse. It's only according to their kind. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So they have a built-in into their DNA the ability to replicate. These animals and creatures can replicate. Again, all to benefit mankind. Because eventually, mankind's going to eat them. That's the idea. Mankind's going to eat them. At first, mankind's a vegetarian, but eventually he's going to eat them. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So again, more feeling. Let's move to the sixth day real quick. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. Now he's talking about land animals, okay? So you got the air animals, sea animals, now the ones on the land. Notice it's, it's broken up in three categories. The first one is the cattle. These are all domesticated animals, like cows and sheep, goats, rams, and whatnot. Then it goes, and creeping things. Creeping things in the Hebrew is the idea that they appear to walk on their belly. Their, their legs are short. So that's how God classifies them. So you have the creeping things. And then he says, and the beasts of the earth. And these are the wild animals, undomesticated animals. Notice the three. Three categories point to the trinity. You'll see God's handiwork in all of creation, and you'll see threes everywhere, all through creation. It's amazing. And this includes dinosaurs as well, because this is when dinosaurs were created. They weren't created millions of years ago. They were created along with the other animals, and they were vegetarian. We'll get more into dinosaurs as we approach Noah and the ark, but suffice it to say, all the animals were created at this point, so that includes dinosaurs. And we'll talk more about how they changed and what happened after Noah's flood. But nonetheless, all the land creatures are there. And it says, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, that it would benefit man. Now, here's the, the idea here behind this real quick. According to its kind means that, again, it's not going to, it's programmed to adapt, but it's not programmed to change out of that species is the idea. So what does science do? We talked about fake science. Do you know that in paleontology, there's a lot of faking going on? Nebraska man, guess what he was? It was a pig's tooth. No, no kidding, man. I, I, when I was in high school, we saw a Nebraska man and he had this, this guy, Neanderthal guy, right? And Neanderthal, Nebraska man turned out to be a pig's tooth. It was a hoax. Then you had Peking man. Remember Peking man? Guess what Peking man turned out to be? Skulls of monkeys. And they had holes in it. So they would theorize, well, someone must have beat this guy over the head. He has a hole in it. No. In Peking, China, they were eating the brains of the monkeys. That's why they had holes in the brain. And it was a monkey head. And they were eating the brains of the monkey. Thank you very much. It was a hoax. Just all hoaxes. And so when you start looking at the evidence behind Neanderthal man, you know what Neanderthal man had? He, his, what his problem was? He had rickets. That's the problem. He had rickets. You live in cold temperatures like that, things start happening to you. And they said, well, the early cavemen. Do you know where, where cavemen came from? 
They came from the Tower of Babel as they were dispersing, and on their migration patterns, they would stay in caves for shelter as they migrated to the other parts of the world after the Tower of Babel. Had nothing to do with ancient Neanderthals. All these things are, are fakes because guess what? They have admitted that if they say it's a fake about Peking man, they would lose funding. So they're going to keep the lie going because they're getting money. But that's what came out of this. They say this bird, this is, they say Archaeopteryx, that's his name. And they say, well, this is the transitional form between dinosaurs and birds. Because you know the whole Jurassic Park thing is, is trying to relate birds and dinosaurs. It's ridiculous. It's unnecessary. But anyway, they say, well, he's the transition guy. No, he's been studied enough now. We know what he is. He's a flightless bird. That's all. Just like an ostrich. He's a flightless bird. And they want to make this guy into a, like a, a half dinosaur. He's not. But again, it's a hoax. And again, you have to go back to what the scriptures say, according to its kind. And according to a kind, its kind means you don't get hybrids like these things. Have you seen these kind of things? Have you ever seen one of those? <laughs> according to its kind means you don't get an eagle horse. According to its kind, you don't get the next animal like him. I don't know. He's a squirrel with a panther head. I don't, you won't get that. You don't get this guy. Elephant cat. You won't get him. Or how about this guy? Rhino uh, rooster. You won't get him. You won't get this guy either in your backyard. Your dog with a parrot head. And lo and behold, you definitely will not get this guy. And I, I've seen him all over the place. The infamous jackalope. You will never find the jackalope anywhere because according to its kind, you can't get an antelope and a rabbit to breed. It just won't happen. Okay. All that being said, what's the application? That's a lot. I go back to this idea of God dividing and then he fills the spaces with things that benefit man. And it was good, which means it's for us. Here's what we've learned in application. God provides it. We have to receive it by being dependent on it. We have to go after and get it. So these animals eventually will be eaten by us. By, that's the idea. It's to benefit man. Not only just having a pet dog, but you're going to go at lunch and, and dinner and eat an animal at some point. Whether it's a chicken or a cow, you're going to eat an animal. It was there for us. Now, God doesn't serve it to you up in a platter. You have to go get it. They have to butcher it. They have to cook it for you, and then you can eat it. Okay, so you got the mechanics of that. So here's the deal. The point is, he provides, you get it, but you have to work the environment. You have to work the process. You have to use the tools in order for all these things that he's provided to work for you. So like when we talk about the stars, man had to develop a navigational sextant in order to read the stars when he was on a ship, in order to guide that ship. But once he figured that out, he could use the stars. But God didn't invent the sextant for him. Man had to come up with it in order to read the stars. So you follow me on that. Okay, here's the principle. In your walk with the Lord, and I'm talking about sanctification, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about sanctification, being conformed to the image of Christ. Whatever you use will 
grow. Explain that. Some of you are right arm dominant. Your right hand is dominant because you use it the most. It's the stronger part of you. And parts of our body, if we don't exercise, we get atrophy and things get out of control. And we, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of way. Okay? So here's the deal. We have to use the tools that God provides and we have to use it wholeheartedly is the idea. You'll have this term wholeheartedly, which means like 100% effort. Well, follow me on this. Okay. But here's what we start seeing, that people don't use the tools God provides. And if they do use the tools, they don't do it wholeheartedly. They do it with kind of a half-hearted effort. And this is in line with every area in our walk with the Lord. Let's say that you want your marriage to be the best marriage possible. Well, it's going to take all of your heart on that one. You're going to have to invest yourself to make that happen. Because if you give a half-hearted investment, yeah, I want a better marriage, but I'm just really not willing to put on the energy to have a better marriage. Guess what? Don't be surprised by your results. See, a lot of responsibility has been laid at our feet by God saying, if you want a better marriage, it's out there. But you're going to have to go get it. You're going to have to work hard at it. And that's tough for some people. If you want to be a good parent, guess what? You're going to have to invest yourself. You just can't wing it. It takes a lot of effort. If you want to be the best at your job, you're going to have to invest yourself. You can't do your job half-heartedly or you're going to get fired at some point in time. And I know what people say, well, they fired me because I'm a Christian. No, what usually happens is you're lazy. That's the problem. And people, the, the employer doesn't want you there. If you were a good employee, they would keep you. Now, the idea then is, is in order to use these tools, you have to invest yourself. I heard a story about a cook, and um, he was talking to a pig, and he was talking to a chicken. And I know this is fictitious, but follow me on this. And the cook said to the pig and the chicken, he says, well, today I think I'm going to cook up ham and eggs. So the chicken says, I'm all for that. And the pig looked at the chicken and said, wait, hey, time out. Hold on, hold on. He said to the chicken, I don't think you understand that in this meal that this guy's creating, that this involves a very different level of commitment by me. And chicken didn't understand what he's talking about, but the pig did because he understood if the guy's going to make ham and eggs, it involves a full commitment on the pig's part to give up his life. And the idea is that's what God is requesting of us in our walk with the Lord. He says you can't do this half-heartedly because you'll only get half-hearted results. Now, here's the question. Why is it? that Christians' hearts are just not into growing so much. Whether to make their marriage better, whether to make their parenting better, just, just their hearts just not into it. They'd rather be somewhere else. They'd rather be at lunch right now and eating and, and having a good time. But they'd really, eh, this, this whole growth thing, Brandon, eh, not really into it. Well, there's reasons behind that, and you have to discern the reasons why someone doesn't commit to growing doesn't commit to using the tools God provides. we run through a couple of them and then we'll end on this. A lot of times we hide to protect ourselves. That's why we don't have a half heart. That's why we have a half-hearted commitment. We're running. We blame others. We're afraid of change. Man, if I throw myself in, Brandon, 
I got to change. Yeah, I know. It's tough, huh? Well, sometimes people fear the failure that might happen. They might step out and they might fail. Some people are just flat out lazy. Some people are controlled by other people. Their time and energy is being controlled by someone else, so it's hard for them to step out. But a lot of times people's past hurts hold, hold them back. They're carrying around a lot of old pain. And when you carry around a lot of old pain and you haven't dealt with that old pain, it takes away your energy levels. You are drained and sapped and you can't move forward because you just don't have the energy. And then a lot of people have mixed motives. For instance, someone says, they, I want a better marriage. And that's a good goal. That's great. But then their motive is mixed because they want a better marriage because they want their spouse to get fixed, not them. You see what I'm saying? It's so, oh, you want this goal, which is a noble goal, but your pure desires are not right because you just want him to be fixed or her to be fixed. That's not how it works. And so what you start seeing in this is that God provides. Here it is. We take the tools, and we're supposed to, with whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. If you're to work on your marriage, you got to do it 100%. Halfway gets half results. Mixed motives gives you mixed results. you got to be in all the way. That's the idea of creation. I'm doing this for you, but man, the responsibility is all entirely on you. End on this, a lady was asking a counselor. She had had a, a relationship with, a, obviously, with her husband, and he was an, an addict, a drug addict. And she asked the counselor, he repented and was trying to get his life back in order and all this other stuff. And, and uh, she, was, she was frustrated. She goes, I don't know if I can trust him anymore. I just don't know. I mean, he, he's lied to me so many times. He's done this. He's done that. He's been on drugs and all this other stuff. And how do I know if he's sincere? How do I know he's all in? How do I know if he's 100% into this marriage? How do I know this, counselor? And the counselor gave her an illustration. Well, let me ask you this question. Did you watch the Super Bowl? And they go, yeah. Well, does Tom Brady, does he need to convince anybody that he can play football pretty well? Does he have to sit there and talk to you? I'm a really good football player. And she says, no. He goes, why? Because Tom Brady proves it on the field with his actions that he's a good football player. And he said to her, that will be the same thing with your husband. If you want to know if your husband's using the tools, if you want to know he's all in, If he's 100% invested in this, don't listen to what he says. Just watch what he does. Your actions speak louder than your words. Always remember that. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.